This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. This episode of Cutting Against the Grain podcast is brought to you by Meter Bluetooth Meat Thermometer. One of the hardest things for me in switching to a mostly meat diet was learning how to cook meat properly. Once I figured out that internal cooking temperatures were the key to mastering any cut of meat, everything made sense. To cook meat properly, it's important to have a quality meat thermometer. Our family has used Meter Bluetooth Meat Thermometer for many years. It takes all the guesswork out of cooking any meat, things in your oven, your stovetop, air fryer, smoker, your crock pot, any cooking method under 527 degrees Fahrenheit. There's no guesswork. The app lets you know exactly how long it needs to be cooked, when to take it off the meat, and how long to let it rest to ensure you have a perfectly cooked piece of meat every single time. This is a product I have personally used for many years, and I'm excited to partner with them now to be able to offer you a 10% off discount code for any of their meter products with code LAURA10. Just go to meater.com and use code LAURA10. Thanks so much for listening and supporting our podcast. Let's get back to the show. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole nother thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air, uh, and and stay happy and healthy and and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm here with my friend, Laura Spath. And today we're going to talk about a topic that I think Laura's going to bring up. So Laura, um, I'm going to hand it over to you. I wanted to talk and get your perspective and share a little bit of mine about kind of what was that moment for you that was like your red pill moment with nutrition or when did you kind of awaken to the fact that, you know, mainstream nutrition discussions or health wasn't ideal for us. And so kind of really getting into what those moments were and how we came to, you know, believe what we believe about a meat-based diet. Okay. So let's back up a second. Um, What do you mean exactly by red pill? And then are there other forms or colors of the other pills? If you want to just kind of, let's just start from the basics of like, what do you mean by that? Is it misinformation that, you know, mainstream media information that we think of nutrition? Like what are, what, what does this mean? So a lot of times, so I'll say, I'll kind of back way up, like you said, and usually people use the term red pill or blue pill, um, with politics. And so that's obviously where I first heard it from, but it really goes all the way back to the matrix. Some joke that it's from the documentary, the matrix. And, um, in the movie, the matrix, one of the main characters says to Keanu Reeves, like it's in this movie where, um, people, are actually in these sleep pods and everything that they're living in their life is just this virtual reality in a sense. And so the, you know, this main character says to Keanu Reeves, you in this moment, now we've shown you the truth. You can now take the blue pill 
which means you can kind of go back to sleep and your life will be great. There's nothing wrong with that. You go about your life. You believe what you're told. You think everything around you is the way that it is. And you can just go on and live this kind of life that you're not aware of what's happening behind the scenes. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of people live very happy, healthy, great lives of happiness by having this blue pill. But he also gave them this choice of, or you can take the red pill, which is essentially where you will now know the reality. You see behind the scenes, you realize that, you know, the best way to describe this is taking the red pill is having the understanding that what is presented by the corporate press, by the mainstream hospital organizations, by the dietary coalition, by the Food and Drug Administration, in whatever way, whether it's politics or food, understanding that what is presented from them as facts is actually just this carefully constructed narrative that's really designed to keep them in power and profit. And so, you know, this obviously some people are now turning this off and thinking that I'm being all conspiracy theorist. And, you know, it's really not, we're not even going to get into the politics side of it, which obviously I have a lot of opinions on, but this is more to say that if you're listening to this podcast, my guess is you don't think that butter and bacon is going to give you a heart attack. Right. Um, we know that. But if you go and look at most of the corporate narrative, as far as from the health administration, if we look at the food guide pyramid, the my plate, like we know that we don't need six to 11 servings of grains every day. And that the small ounces of meat that they're recommending, we don't need to limit red meat. And so for me, that's a red pill moment. That's this moment where you realize that what's being presented in the textbooks and in the news and in the um, doctor's offices is not necessary. They're presenting it as fact, but we know that it's really just this narrative that's designed to, um, I think, in a lot of ways, sell prescriptions to help fund the corn industry, uh, the lobbyists, like there's so many things as to why that is. And so having this, you know, red pill moment, which a lot of us do, obviously, if you're listening to here, um, is kind of that. So again, we're not trying to get all political here. It has nothing to do with red and blue Republican Democrat. It's really more about reality, um, understanding the behind the scenes moment, understanding maybe the alternate narrative versus just believing everything that you're told at face value. I mean, I definitely had my red pill moment then from that perspective. Um, You know, I think when I had my breakdown, I was plant-based for 12 years. And then I thought that was the healthiest way of eating. And people would affirm that to me all the time saying, Oh my gosh, you're so healthy now. And all these comments, um, And then going into a mental health hospital and then never asking me what I ate, but saying that I probably was depressed my whole life and that I probably need um, antidepressants for the rest of my life. And what's so wrong with that? Because, hey, if you have an arm ache and you need Tylenol for the rest of your life, if there's a brain ache, what's the big deal? And it made logical sense to me. And I was like, okay, so I'll take antidepressants. The only thing is after a few months, it wasn't working. And um, and then they kept upping my dose. And then they kept saying, um, there's all these other medications you could take that are for bipolar people, schizophrenics. And hey, it may actually just help with um, a little bit more of your depression. And so I remember specifically asking my psychiatrist, do you think diet has anything to do with any of this? And and he said, no. And um, I talked to a psychiatrist, another psychiatrist that's all about nutrition. And she said, it's not because he's being evil or he's, you know, plotting against me and just trying to make money. Um, But it's, he's never taught that mental health can actually and absolutely have something to do with uh, nutrition. And so his answer being no is just, I think he truly believes that. And that's where I agree with you. I don't think that most people who tell you that information are doing anything from a malicious intent. Most doctors who are telling you to go on statins for your high LDL, but you're low triglycerides. So your overall total cholesterol is high, like all of those things. Nobody has these malicious intents. It's just, that's what they're taught and they believe everything that they're taught. And there's nobody there to question who funded these studies. Where did this information come from? Where was this textbook? What has been done? What's, you know, 
things have been learned since then. And there's nobody digging in. Again, those are the people that are just blue pilled. This is what it said. I learned this. It's exactly what I'm going to believe. And so there's no malicious intent. There's no big conspiracy that's happening from all of these doctors. It's really just them believing exactly what they were taught and then regurgitating that information um, to you or to everybody. I mean, I do think there's a little bit of, um, I wouldn't say malice, but um, I do know that doctors get deemed if they don't write down that someone needs to get a statin if they had high cholesterol. So if they don't give their patient a statin, I think they have a ding on the record. And then over time, if they have enough, they can get in trouble. And so that's why I'm not surprised that statins are the number one sold uh, pharmaceutical drug. Um, I do think it's mostly about money, right? So it's just, it's this one uh, meme I saw uh, where basically it's just pharmaceutical companies don't want you dead but they don't want you super well. They just need you right there where you, they just need need you to be on medication. So they make money. And um, and then obviously there's a lot of conspiracy theories or I hate using that word, but just um, a lot of thoughts of, you know, extrapolations of, well, what does this all mean? Is there a bigger picture and all that stuff? And that's not what we're, we're getting into. It's just um, understanding that there's a different narrative that we believe in, regardless of if we're calling it the red pill or blue pill. But you know, it took me to get really sick and then realizing that the medication isn't working and that I just didn't want to get sick again, that the second time I got pregnant and I was about to have my second son, I didn't want to go through the same thing that I went through with my first son. And so this time I took it into my own hands and I learned about nutrition. I just started reading on people removing sugar from their diets and feeling so much better, um, how people had less depression and anxiety when they changed certain parts of their diet. And I mean, I was seven, eight months pregnant, driving around, looking to do estate planning and get a a will done because no one exactly knew what happened to me with my first child. And I didn't want that to happen to me with my second. And I didn't know if I would even get my memory back with my second. So just in case, not knowing that, again, it was my diet, I was going around at seven months pregnant, talking with lawyers, and they didn't understand, like, why is this 30-year-old woman saying she needs to create a will and an estate plan and a medical directive at such a young age while she's pregnant. And I didn't tell them that I had a breakdown and stuff. And and that's when I think I started seeing some of that red pill. Like, I'm not going to trust my doctor or my psychiatrist because they're not giving me the right answers. And I need to find something that will allow me to be a mom and a wife and be present in my family because whatever I'm doing is not working. And during that whole time, I was still plant-based, never once questioning my diet. And it took me to finally go keto and little bits were getting better, but I was still plant-based even on keto. Luckily, this wider community that was saying, oh my gosh, meat does so much. Meat brings me healing. And I started looking at meat in a different light. And that's when I think I was really red-pilled, right? Um, I started doing more research and and then I fell in love with nutrition. I went back to nutritional therapy school. And that's when I realized so much of what we know is wrong in terms of nutrition. And then you can't help but wonder, well, then why are they pushing statins? Or why are they saying cholesterol is so bad? And why, why are half of the people that are getting heart attacks still having normal cholesterol? But we think it's the cholesterol. And it's a bunch of these things that happen that then you start realizing And I don't know what I can trust out in corporate media because for sure their nutritional guidance is wrong, right? That uh, red meats give you heart disease or saturated fats cause heart disease. And that if you want to support mental health, you should remove a lot of animal-based foods. It's wrong. And I I experienced it firsthand by myself. And then when I did the research for carnivore cure and going to school, I know it's wrong. And it's just... It's unfortunate because most people trust, they trust that if my dietitian says, or my doctor says, I need to limit these foods, I'm going to limit these foods. And we're, again, we're, I think that's those, that's exactly it. I think it's this positive cycle that helps awaken people. You can't just give somebody a list of facts or studies to help awaken them in that way, because they're not going to believe it. You could give me a bunch of information right now about how red meat causes cancer. And I'm not going to believe it because I, I'm so strongly convinced into what I do. We both get messages all the time from somebody saying, um, my, 
you know, doctor's concerned about my cholesterol, my husband's concerned, my cousin's second, um, you know, second neighbor down the streets, hairstylist says I'm going to have a heart attack because I eat so much red meat. Like, what do I tell them? You can't tell them anything. And I think what shows for you and for me, we both had to almost hit rock bottom to start looking for our own answers. We both wanted to know the truth. We went out looking for it. And it wasn't just a list of facts that convinced us. It was these anecdotal stories that gave us hope that sent us on this path of looking down our own research. And so simply by sending, emailing people studies or sharing things on Facebook, you're not going to convince anybody to change their mind. It has to be this cycle of them wanting to know more information, them being open-minded about it. Then it's a combination of those personal healing stories and then looking at the research behind it. Why did somebody heal in this way? And it's not one person. It's hundreds and thousands of people now that have shared their stories and that we're able to combine all of that into this, you know, this awakening that people are having about food and nutrition. You know, a similar thing happened to us where we went, you know, Chris got sick. He had the necrotizing fasciitis. Come to find out he ended up getting that mainly because he was diabetic. And that is a lot of the reason why his body was not able to fight off that infection was because his body was type two diabetic. He was already sick to begin with and he couldn't fight off that infection. And so it turned into this flesh eating bacteria. And so him realizing then after that, that over 50% of people that have necrotizing fasciitis get it again in their lifetime. And it's because of the fact that they're still diabetic, they're not fixing that root cause. And so it was unfortunately this major traumatic situation for us and for him and for our family that put us into this thing of, I can't just keep taking this medication because the statistics show that I will likely end up with flesh eating bacteria again, or myself, I will end up with diabetes. I will end up with these problems. And so we kind of went down this same thing of looking at these healing stories, who has fixed their health, how did they do that, and then really digging into the research behind it. And it's a lot of effort and work. And I think that's why people don't do it. It's so much easier and more comfortable. You can be in this blue-pilled you know, lifestyle and just be more comfortable and restrict calories and exercise more and follow the food guide pyramid and limit all these things. And they might work, but it's a lot and it's a lot easier. It might work for a temporary amount of time. You might lose weight. You might feel better for a short period of time, but it's not sustainable for your health and it's not going to fix whatever the root causes of what's going on with you. Yeah, I mean, that just goes back to why part of the reason why I don't like the word um, conspiracy theorist, because I hate these terminologies that once you're defined by that, then no matter what you say, it's like, see, look, there's the conspiracy theory, right? So when I would tell people that meat is good for them, and that saturated fats aren't bad, and that they should maybe limit the carbs, and you know, it's more like, oh, she's gone woo woo, right? She's gone, right? Um, she's gone off the deep end. And it's just after that, it's like, no matter what you say, they're not going to believe you. And so then it's those powerful stories, right? That's why I said in another uh, podcast episode that my mom's story of healing and seeing it very visibly and seeing how healthy and vibrant she is as a 70 year old lady, it's more powerful than me advocating for a meat based diet and showing the studies because people don't care or they don't believe it or they'll say no. There's so many studies that show that actually a vegan diet or a plant-based diet or all these studies, the China study and all these other studies show that meat causes cancer. So, and and that's where, like you're saying, it's easier to follow the blue pill. Um, I had a conversation with my husband about this, right? So when COVID started happening, meats were becoming more expensive or scarce or they were rationing it at the markets we sat down and I just was like, what are we going to do? Should we get a farm? Should we start raising our own cows? And he's like, you are the biggest city girl I know. Like, there's no way you're going to start raising your own cows. And he was like, let's just say everything you believe about the world is going to happen. And they're going to take away your meats and, um, and we're going to have limited everything. Do you want your kids to live on the outskirts of the world because we're deciding that we're in the know where we we are awakened, but that life is hard. So imagine 
your life trying to figure out where to get electric, where, where to get water and where to get whatever else. But that doesn't seem like a easy life either for our boys. And it was such a valid point. And it's just, that's why this thing is really hard, right? So taking the red pill, we can heal our bodies. But then what? You know what I mean? It's, it is easier to follow the blue pill. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know. It's both, I think both options are hard, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really just what's harder to get going, I guess. It's also just, it's interesting to me how people can believe some things and be awakened or have taken the red pill in certain things, like the fact that red meat is good for you. We understand that. That's this moment of awakening that we realize that we don't necessarily believe everything that's written out there about it. But yet there's other things that they are still questioning or not bought into. And I think another big moment for myself was just about fasting. Um, You know, it took me a long time to convince my mom that like fasting wasn't an eating disorder. But once she bought into that, that you're I mean, this narrative that's out there is that you have to eat six times a day. And if you're if you don't eat breakfast within 30 minutes of waking up, you're going to slow down your metabolism and you have to eat every two to three hours to keep your metabolism up or you're going to gain weight. And you and I both know that basically the exact opposite of that is true and that the worst thing you can try to do is if if you're stabilizing your blood sugar and trying to lose weight is to eat every two to three hours. And so, you know, this is another topic that until we started doing the research and hearing the stories and it's finding, you know, it's we found a lot of that stuff through Dr. Jason Fung. And, you know, my mom, I remember her calling and like telling me she was praying for me because I had an eating disorder and because I did a 36 hour fast when skipped to a few months later, she had seen our weight loss. She saw that my husband was able to get off all his type two diabetes medication. He got off all his metformin. And then she sat there and was just in shock that she might be able to quit taking her thousand dollar a month shots. Like she was giving herself these um, shots because metformin wasn't strong enough anymore. She was going to be able to maybe do that. And so then she started fasting and with a few, you know, well-positioned 36 hour fasts a week, all of a sudden she was able to start losing weight. She had been keto before that. And even believing what she believed about meat, she still couldn't understand how fasting could be beneficial and help regulate your blood sugar until she tried it. And then she was able to get off of all her medication Her doctor, she says this often, but she went back to her doctor and told her what she did. And her doctor was completely shocked. She said in her entire life, in her medical practice, she had never had anybody reduce their type 2 diabetes medication before. She had never seen anybody actually reverse their type 2 diabetes because the advice that she was giving is eat two to three times a day, six to 11 servings of grain a day, fruits and vegetables, limited red meat, and it's you know, all of the main dietary guidelines that you see, um, low sodium, all that kind of stuff. And so my mom had given her several of these books. And again, that's that moment for that doctor. She can look back and say, this is a moment that I was red pilled. I saw somebody not follow all of my advice, fix themselves, heal themselves. And then that anecdotal story caused her to then go down this rabbit hole of of nutrition and researching ever questioning what she had been taught in medical school and trying to find the real answers the you know, things that are out there. And now she's able to, now that she knows that now that she's awakened, she's able to help other people, other patients of hers, other people in her practice to start finding real root cause healing rather than just fixing everything with prescription medication. And that's awesome. I mean, I think most doctors, from my understanding, and even just um, from my, I guess, experience, they're not as open, right? So right. I remember my dad um, went to his uh, practitioner and told him that he's eating mostly meat-based. And she just went off on him saying, that's wrong. Your cholesterol is going to get worse. And then they literally called me during their doctor's visit. And she was reprimanding me. Like, what are you doing to your father recommending mm. him to eat these things and I argued back and she bas- we basically hung up the phone and her saying we'll see you're you're making a mistake and now she has been promoted I think they I think she worked in Kaiser and she's been promoted to like director level right. and it's unfortunate because I mean how many doctors call their daughter outside of the um the visit to argue her point of view and I, I was just flabbergasted instead of, hey, your blood glucose markers look like they're going down. Good for you. 
do what is working. Instead, she had to call me and tell me that I was in the wrong. And that's where I'm like, wow, you are, if we define it as blue pilled, like you're really blue pilled. You're just so believing like what you've been told and what you've been taught. And you're so closed off to questioning. It's like, it's almost like you were telling her that aliens existed and that they were going to come down and like, you know, that's, that's how crazy she feels like you are in that moment because she believes what she believes so strongly to her core that she's incapable of kind of seeing anything else. And I think that's definitely the difference with, you know, I do, I agree with you. There are some malicious people and some malicious intents. And I think a lot of that comes from above. It's the lobbyist, it's the um, prescription. You know, I think that's happening right now with the, with the vaccine when there's things that are um, proven to be a cure, but they are not, they're, generic and they're not being funded right now and there's no money to be made in that. And so I think that is, you know, that kind of goes into everything else. It's interesting to me to see people in this community who are so red pilled with nutrition and so open to um, understanding all of these things that we've been talking about and fasting and, and all these things, but then are so closed off to, uh, to anything else, you know, when it comes to climate or kids and school systems and all these other things that, you know, like are that everybody has such a strong opinion on and such a stance on. Uh, I wish that I could get people to be more open-minded in general. And it doesn't mean that what I believe is the right thing in every circumstance. Um, But I also know that I'm very open-minded about somebody presenting different ideas to me. Um, And I also am not naive enough to think that me sharing an article on Facebook is going to convince anybody anything different about wearing a mask or fixing your your health. 40% of COVID deaths, those people have type 2 diabetes. Um, it's just so interesting. I Brian I Sanders posted. I thought it was. Higher I mean, I think it's uh, comorbidities is much higher. Oh, okay. But actually, yeah, any type of comorbidities is much higher than that. But um, strictly type two diabetes only, which is something that we know type two is a hundred percent reversible. Right. And it's been eighteen months now. There is zero reason why in the last eighteen months somebody couldn't have reversed their type two diabetes. Um. It's sad. It's it's frustrating. Yeah, my mom um, has been carnivore-ish for, I don't know, like almost three years now. And yesterday she was like, I checked my blood sugar and, and I checked it yesterday and it was 78. It's so low. What should I do? <laughs> I was like, no, that's like really good. Um, I mean, that's like really good markers because she was diabetic. And so right. for her, 100 would be wonderful, right? So she didn't. And, and that's what it is. It's just, you know, for her even she thought 78 is so low. Like, does she need to actually eat sugar? Because her mom used to take metformin and she used to take metformin. And if it ever got too low, then they would drink like orange juice or have a lifesaver, things like that. And so she still has those like stigmas in her when it's just, no, your blood sugar is beautiful now, even though you were diabetic and you were taking metformin. And when you were eating um, a clean-ish diet, your blood sugars were still in the 180s. And now your blood sugar is normalizing on a carnivore or meat only diet. And actually your markers look really good, but she came to me scared about that number. And so that's just, it's just the stigmas of, um, I think a lot of people, the reason why they're maybe less open or they're more, they, they take the stand they do with whether it's schools or just other things going on in the world other than nutrition is, I think it comes back to the fear, right? Um, I'm sure a lot of people that are eating a meat-only diet, their family members or um, extended family or cl- close friends aren't eating a carnivore-based diet, and so they're not fully healing. And so when they have those other comorbidities or other disease, then the safer route to take is, I'm just going to listen to corporate media or all these rules and regulations. They're saying that will ensure I'm safe, quote unquote, ensure I'm safe. And so then I'll follow it because I'm scared. I'm scared that I will lose my daughter. I will lose my mother or I'll lose my best friend because they are not on a carnivore based diet. And that is terrifying. That's completely understandable. I I mean, I know people who start carnivore and are scared that their cholesterol is going to go up and that they're not even doing the right thing. So that's from their own personal perspective is that I'm doing this, but I'm really cautious and I'm very nervous about this. Uh, I think that's why we all, we encourage people to do it for 
you know, commit to it for 90 days or 100 days at first because, you know, you're not going to get scurvy and have all these problems that you're scared of having in in a couple of months of doing carnivore. Um, you know, cutting out vegetables for a short period of time isn't going to, it's, it's a great elimination option. You know, we often talk about the fact that not everybody has to be carnivore forever. And I think most people aren't. My guess is most people that listen to this podcast are around 90% carnivore. Yeah. I think that's where most of this community falls. And that's a great place to be for the majority of people. There's very few people that need to be 100% strict um, for whatever health reasons. But I think that, I don't remember where I was going with that. But the point is, the fee, I do agree. I think that even people start that diet and they're scared. They're scared of what's going to happen to them. And I think that, if they're strict and if they're consistent, the results then speak for themselves and their own personal story and their health improvements is essentially what helps them to believe that it's true. And they have to try it for themselves. You know, what's weird is when I started this diet four years ago, I don't remember this much fear, even in nutrition, right? So there are people that do carnivore that I always get messages now of, are you sure it's okay? I don't eat carbs for my thyroid. Are you sure it's okay? I don't eat carbs for my hormones. Um, my minerals are imbalanced or I'm losing my hair. Are you sure it's not the diet or my cholesterol's going up? And there's just all these concerns. If I share about fish, it's like, are you sure you're not worried about mercury toxicity? If I go swimming, oh my gosh, are you, are you worried about the chlorine in the water? If I drink water, it's like, oh my gosh, are you worried about the sparkling waters? Um, PFOAs. And it's anything I share at this point, there's a fear. And I don't, know if I don't remember four years ago correctly, but I don't remember there being that much fear around even in the nutrition space. And so I don't know if it's part of the fact that everyone's kind of scared or on their own soapbox compared to four years ago. Like in general, everyone is just up in arms now or or there was that much fear back then too. And I just don't remember it. I think it's a combination of things. I think that number one, we weren't paying attention. We weren't when you're not in this nutrition world, neck deep in it, like we are now, you kind of don't notice those things and you don't notice what's out there and the conversations that are being had, I think is part of it. I also think in terms of like the carnivore, keto, low carb world, like there weren't as many people sharing four years ago, keto is just starting to blow up and there wasn't nutritionists or people out there, I guess, creating that fear, you know, fear is a commodity. We've talked about that before, where if you want somebody to engage on your post, say something controversial, and you're going to have a ton of comments down below. And that creates engagement, which gets you visibility, which gets you more followers, which gets you more notoriety, like all of those things happen. And so creating something on a feed post that's going to cause people to argue is actually a benefit to you if you're trying to grow yourself as a, you know, an influencer or a well-known person. And so I think that creating a little bit of fear or clickbait, I think, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not criticizing that in any way I'm saying, but I think that that is definitely a tool that is used. Um, and that a lot of people can do that to kind of get a conversation going. So I don't know how much people are going to be open-minded to hearing that because when you read those memes or you read those tweets or you read those um, posts, you instantly have a very strong reaction to that. And so I don't know if people are actually reading those comment sections to try to learn something or if they're just trying to argue their own point. I'm not really sure what benefit is happening there, but I do agree with you. I didn't notice it before, but I, I think it's the two reasons. I think we weren't looking for it. And then also... There's just more people now that are talking about health. And, you know, ironically, in 2021, so many people talk about health, but we're actually not talking about health at all. We're talking about prescriptions and we're talking about procedures and we're talking about behaviors. We're not actually talking about how do I get healthy? It's all about how do I protect myself, not how do I improve myself? And I think that's the biggest, my biggest frustration right now with how health is being talked about in 2021 is let's stop focusing on protecting ourselves and let's start focusing on improving ourselves and creating a healthy immune system and getting our bodies in a place to fight off whatever comes along. I think the part that was frustrating with for me is that I see so many people scared and at home and that's fine. If they want to choose to live that way, that's fine. But a lot of people then 
when I see them after a year or so, like a lot of them have gained weight or whatever illness they had that made them scared in the first place, it's probably worse. And that's the part I just don't get. It's And I get it. If your cortisol is high and I see it in my clients, um, it will stall weight. It will cause cravings. And then you're at home and you have nothing better to do. So if you eat an extra bag of chips, you don't realize you're going to gain weight over time with it. So I get the human psyche with that. But from a bigger picture, I just don't get that if the core reason you're scared and you're staying at home is because your health isn't 100%. But then you, in that year, end up doing the things that make your health worse. Like that's the part that's really frustrating for me to see as a practitioner. And not even with my clients, I see it with my friends. And I mean, I talked about one of my friends, her son has asthma. And so they stayed, um, they even ordered their groceries. They just never went out. And she's in her 30s, so it's not like they're super old. And her son is eight, has asthma. Old time COVID's been around. They've essentially not gone out and not seen anyone. And after a year, he's gained even more weight. And I just, I don't get it. And, you know, as somebody that I love, it's more like I want to reprimand them, but I don't. And so I just pray for them. But I don't get it, right? Because they're so scared to even see me. And I respect that. But then what have you been doing in the year and a half, right? Like your son is heavier than ever. And now he's probably morbidly obese. So that those are the parts that are really frustrating for me. It's also hard. I get it. I totally get it. It's hard. I don't know if I could say that my health is more improved now than it was 18 months ago when this first started. I think I went through a period of time last year where I was stressed and emotional and home and frustrated and I gained a lot of weight. I'm still working on getting some of that stuff off. So it's definitely not easy. It's definitely not simple, but I think that the interesting part to me is to see that we know how to do it. We know that we can't necessarily, it's not about calories in, calories out. It's not about following the food guide pyramid to a T. You know, how can we kind of open our eyes to that a little more? How can we continue to educate ourselves I think it also then is interesting to me. This is another one of those moments where we are red pilled about nutrition for ourselves. We know that we can't have sugar. We know we don't need to eat three to, you know, six to five to six times a day. So we all know those things as adults, but it's interesting to me then we don't correlate those things to our children. And that was another moment for me. Chris and I had worked on fixing our health. We were fixing our healing, We, but our kids were still eating convenience foods and microwave right. chicken nuggets. And like they were eating microwave macaroni and cheese because it was easier. And it took us another level to then start addressing our kids' diets. And so it's interesting when we know those foods aren't good for us. We know we don't need to eat that many times a day. But why are people still not red-pilled about the way that children should be eating and what is needed for kids to be healthy, that kids need sunshine and activity and vitamin D and being outside and, and interaction with others? Like We know we need that as adults, but why are we then not realizing that about making changes for our kids as well, which is also very hard, I know. Yeah. So I I feel like I was red pilled with that early because I was going through my own journey. And then I noticed that I was trying to nurse my oldest um, for one year and I never made it because I got on medication. But then I noticed that a lot of mothers were so hard pressed about the nutrition of breastfeeding for one year. And then after a year, it was like, let's get on chicken nuggets and pizza. And it didn't matter anymore. And that's when I was like, what? I don't get it. It's not like their age ends at one. But I see at birthday parties, um, just snack after snack. And while it's all pretty to look at, it's just, there's just so much junk food. And so with my second son, um, I mean, he nursed for a really long time, but I was a crazy mom at the birthday parties, right? So everyone was getting two slices of pizza with a bag of chips. And then because these um, dessert tables are, are becoming a fad and popular. And again, they're really pretty to look at, but it's like, do you want the cookie, the cake? And then I would say, no, you guys have to share one or share half. And I would get the looks from the moms like, gosh, like let them live a little, let them be kids. But it was like, there was a birthday party every weekend. And it's just at a certain point, it's like, no, I'm doing them a favor. And I don't care if I look like the crazy mom, like I know it's not good for them. I know those food dyes are not good for them. And I've done enough research where I am comfortable in my skin. 
sure, I can sacrifice a lot about myself, but when it's my kids, I will take the stand. And that's when essentially I wanted to become a nutritionist for kids because I said, it's not right that these kids have no wherewithal in terms of what gets fed to them, but now it's going to affect them for the rest of their lives. But when I realized that, hey, if I don't change the parents' diet, it'll never leach into the kids. That's when I switched to adults. But my passion was always children because I felt that they deserve a right to eat the best quality foods, to have the best life and option that they can have. And if we take that away from them as adults and we feed them what's convenient and what's easy, but not necessarily nutrient dense, and then they may get the mental health things where now the kids, teachers are like, oh, um, Sue or Sammy now needs ADHD medication because he's jumping all over the place. And then we put them on medication when they're not even 10 years old yet, when they can't even take a stand for themselves. That's when I started getting really upset. And so, yes, I think nutrition should start with kids. And the way that we can do that is with our adults, because at least the adults were making the decision of what gets into our mouth, but our kids don't really get that option. And it's really what sets them up for future health problems. Like it's going to cause them to have problems during puberty and problems as they get older and um, severe acne as a teenager. Like that's a, that's a really traumatizing thing for a teenager to have to deal with. And the majority of the time that severe acne that they're dealing with is a result of the food that they're eating. And it's, you can buy them all the expensive creams or unfortunately the things that are toxic vitamin A and all of those things. Look at me learning stuff, Judy. I'm learning from you doing this podcast six months and now I'm learning all about what causes vitamin A toxicity. But those things are introduced to them around adolescence. And I think it's huge. And I had a point in that, but Hang on, I got all proud of myself and I lost my thought process. <laughs> I mean, it affects their uh, mental health, right? And a lot of people's, their self-worth comes from when they're children. So it absolutely affects them, right? So if they had acne when they were young and they were made fun of for that, or they were overweight and they were made fun of for that, it's just unfortunate. And and these things, um, if we don't write these ships um, with our children at a very young age, it'll forever affect them. And I have my cousins, they're go, they're, they'll say to me, what's so wrong with giving the kids animal crackers and applesauce? And I'm like, it's not a problem once in a while. But if you're constantly feeding that two to three times a day, and then they're not really eating meat in their meals, it does become a problem because all they're eating is fast burning carbs. And that is not nutrients that will then feed the fuel for the brain, which is 60% comprised of fat. Well, that's part of it. Like you said earlier, these convenience foods, and I talked about the microwave chicken nuggets, like once you're awakened to the good nutrition that is there, first of all, you can eliminate the majority of the snacks that kids are eating. They just don't have to have snacks. Time saved right there. Money saved right there. Convenience. Don't give them a snack. Super easy. They get over that asking for those snacks very quickly. Within a couple of days, they're going to eat enough of their meals where they're not actually looking for those snacks anymore. So that's, first of all, time and money and convenience saved. But it takes, I'm very lazy when it comes to like cooking for our food. Chris and I are on the go. I'm a working mom. Like I don't have time to like cook up these big meals every day. You know, that's why we use microwave bacon for breakfast most of the time Um, or microwaving chicken nuggets for dinner or microwaving ground beef that's already been cooked is the same exact amount of time. And I can give my kids a bowl of ground beef, cook stuff up ahead of time. Like the convenience factor of why kids eat these things, I think is something that that's a blue pill moment. Like you just think that's the only way is to give the kid the lunchable when in reality I could cut up the meat and cheese and have like, there's, it's not more time and it's not more money to give kids nutrient dense food. It is harder in the beginning from um, your kid is picky. Maybe your kid is picky because all they've had are these ultra processed foods. Well, we know those are so much more palatable. We know they're addicting. And in a short period of time, those kids are going to get over it, like get them involved, start as early as you can have them make choices on what they want to eat. And you can get them to a place where they're, eating more nutrient dense foods, but uh, it definitely takes work, especially if that's what they've been doing. It's not an easy transition. And I don't take that away. Um, I also don't think it has to be, I'm like you, it doesn't, I don't think it has to be perfect. If my kids, we don't do, we don't have tons of family. We have no family where we live. So we're not doing cousins birthday parties every weekend. They have an occasional friend's birthday party where they go and they do eat the pizza and the ice cream and stuff. 
Penelope did one of her first drop-off birthday parties, which people from our church, and we dropped her off and we picked her up and the family went, uh, yeah, she ate a lot of, uh, we had a donut table over there. Uh, we're surprised she didn't throw up. And it's like, you don't want, you know, that was, we've had conversations about that since like, how do you feel? Or they do eat too much sugar and like feel sick. Like they know that. And so it's trying to have those conversations of not wanting to feel that way, but feeding your kids nutrient dense food and not highly processed things doesn't take any more time and effort once you're awakened to how simple and easy it can be. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I mean, when I had a shift from buying like Costco processed foods that are all just easily microwavable for foods and then, you know, then just learning to cook meats and then making paleo-ish foods for my family, it was a transition. But once you do it, it's just like a month or two that it seems harder, but then it just becomes natural. And I mean, for my kids, they ate a lot of the processed apple sauces and pouches and all of that. And, and now that we never have any of those types of foods and they can, they're fine. And some days they may eat some noodles or pizza with maybe dad or um, at a party or at school. And I used to be a lot more strict and I just started balancing the disordered eating. I don't want them to have any struggles with disordered eating in the future. But nowadays, like if they have a little bit of eczema on their arm, I can say, look, it's because you've been eating that processed food and that's the consequence of it. So they're very wary. And so as they grow older, I hope that when they're in front of pizza with their guy friends or whoever they're hanging out with, they know that, hey, if I eat a lot of this, I know I'm going to get that eczema or I know I'm going to get that pimple or whatever it may be and that they can make the smarter decision. But it has to start from when they're young and and just educating them. And, and it's not difficult. I know a lot of parents reach out to me and say, well, my kid is really, really picky. And I always say, well, are you feeding them a lot of snacks? And oftentimes it is. It's, well, she was thirsty though. So I gave them those low sugar drinks and it's, but their stomachs are really small. So when they drink that, then they don't want to eat anything else. And I see it time and time again. My nephew is super picky. He barely eats any meat and he lives off the fruit. And I tell my mom all the time, because she's the one that babysits him for um, most of the weekdays. And I said, don't feed him any of the snacks and he will be hungry. And time and time again, she'll see it. Like if he doesn't have any of the snacks, then at dinner time he will eat the meat. When kids are hungry, meat is not that hard to eat. Absolutely. And that's the number one thing that when our kids didn't want to switch and eat meat at, you know, their meals and we cut out the snacks and that made such a huge difference. But it's interesting to me how, how much easier things can be, I guess, when you're, when you are open-minded about what can be causing those things. Like, why don't your kids want to eat meat? It's that moment of, well, they're just picky versus what's actually the root cause of what's going behind it. What's the root cause of our health? What's the root cause that medications are being offered the majority of the time versus lifestyle changes? And I mean, this is where call me what you want to call me, but that's where it comes down to profit. It comes down to who's in power. It comes down to, you know, what is benefiting these powerful people and finding a way to make that happen. And I think that's, it's just so interesting to me. I think in this community where we see so many people who are awakened to these nutritional things, we have no problems convincing a lot of people that um, your high cholesterol isn't necessarily a bad thing and that it can be depending on the ratio of your triglycerides and your LDL and HDL, like that can be a great thing and you need cholesterol and it's a positive thing. But, you know, then when you get into other aspects with health that are being talked about right now, it's interesting to me how people are so quick to believe everything that they're told and really not get to that root cause or look for what's actually who's funding those studies. I said this already, but it's just so important to look at where the information is coming from. Who is this information benefiting? I think is the number one thing as we look and we're trying to discern what's true, um, what's fact versus what's being presented in a certain way is who is this information benefiting? What is the goal of this information? Um, you know, where is it coming from? I think all things, we all want to be safe. And I think that we all want to be healthy. Um, but how we get there, I think are right now two very different sides of the same coin. 
Chris and I often talk about how we feel like we're watching two movies on the same screen where I look at a piece of information and you see it one way and then somebody else looks at a piece of information and they see it in an entirely different way. And, and we're living these two different narratives in society right now, but they're all happening at the same time. And it's just so interesting to take a step back and look at that. It doesn't change how I live my life the way that other people do. And I'm, you know, that's the part that gets me is like, why does how I live my life impact anybody else, I guess. Um, and so it's, it's definitely a topic that comes about in our house a lot. And we don't talk about it on social media because we're concerned about offending somebody uh, or you're concerned about upsetting somebody. And it's, it's just not the time for that anymore. We don't have the luxury to just let a lot of those things go anymore. I know, you know, you and I feel the same way about the school system right now with all that we've talked about with uh, health and nutrition and kids and, you know, government schools. It's a lot of the reason why you and I have made the decision to choose alternate options for our kids and for schools. Um, I think who you support, where your kids are, where your kids spend the majority of their time is so important. And um, we've made a lot of sacrifices in our family to be able to make the choice that we do as far as not having our kids in traditional schools. And so it doesn't mean that's the right solution for everybody, but just based on, you know, where our family is and our thoughts and beliefs, that's definitely, it's the right choice for us. And I'm grateful that we have that option when not everybody does. I spent many, many hours figuring out my children's school yeah. because we can't be homeschool teachers for sure. But we found an alternative way. And I think this is just, it just goes back to your priorities, right? So I barely watch TV. And I think um, I was a big TV person when I was younger, but I don't. And I spend a lot of my time doing research and and then spending time with my family. Um, a big, important use of my time is spending time with my family. So if that means I have to change all of Nutrition with Judy to make sure that Caleb can go to a school that I want him to go to that's not that close to me, um, I'm going to do it. And that was a priority for me to do. And so, yeah, I had a shift around everything in my career for it. But I mean, I think it's a good thing, right? right. I, I am so much happier he's going there than the school that's literally five five houses down the street. People just need to figure out you know, what they want to listen to. I think the, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I watch the news, but I don't really listen to it. But that that's the part that's scary with whatever you listen to and consume is that it builds a narrative in the back of your mind right. so that when, like you were saying, Laura, like, let's say we watch something on the news and they're saying everyone is dying around your area and that the the rate of COVID is going up. So you heard that, you didn't really react to it. It's just like, oh, that's a little worrisome to hear. And then you hear a story um, from a friend of a friend, and then you're just going to view that story differently based on the news you heard, right? So it depends on what news outlets you're listening to, to then react to um, anecdotal stories. Right. It, and that's the issue with where we're getting our information. And it's that that's why I always say you got to protect your ears and your eyes because it'll affect your heart. And for me, being fully candid, I don't listen to the news at all. And I barely watch any. So I don't even I didn't even know there was a Delta variant. Like, I'm going to be so honest right now. And I felt ignorant. And I didn't even know the Afghanistan stuff was happening. And again, I could be ignorant. But at this point, it hurts me truly to my heart's core. And so instead, I wake up and I listen to five minutes of prayer. And I come to a good place so that I can serve I can serve of you know, what meat-based nutrition fact am I going to share with the community to eat one more piece of meat? Because that's what matters to me more. And I'm going to pray for the world and I'm going to pray for our communities. But I don't want to get bogged down by, oh my gosh, what's going on with... And people could call me ignorant, but that's how for now I'm protecting myself so that I can still be a place where people can get education that maybe tomorrow there's one more person that wants to eat meat-based. And look, Nutrition with Judy is sharing some information. And because I wasn't bogged down by other information, I can share this information. And so for me, that's how I'm doing it. But I, am I um, am I awoke? Probably not right now. But that's why I listen to enough political stuff for the both of us. And then I just text you occasionally when there's something that you probably need to pay attention to, or I fill you in on it. But it really, truly, again, I want to reiterate, it has nothing to do with Republican versus Democrat. Um, yeah. Trust me, both of the news channels that you think that we're talking about are both equally as bad when it comes to constructing a careful narrative to get you to feel a certain way. They both want you to feel a certain way. They want to divide you. They want to push you apart. I think there's so much of that that's being happened right now with everything. 
everything right now is being focused on how can we divide everybody? I mean, that's what the last year and a half has been with several different things uh, is about dividing people. And I think that's kind of, I think doing that, protecting yourself, maybe it is time for you to turn it all off. Maybe it is time for you to um, look at alternative news sources or look at people you trust or dig into it or just do what Judy's doing and um, focus on your family and the things that are immediately around you and what can you control and, and how can you, um, what are you consuming, which I know we often talk about um, on this podcast. So it is definitely important. There's a lot that we can't control in our lives. And if you have faith, um, you can look at hope. But at the end of the day, what we know, um, regardless of what trajectory is in our future, we know that the best thing to do right now, our best um, advocacy for ourselves, is to be the healthiest we can be. So if you know that, I just think everything else, not necessarily about Afghanistan stuff, obviously, that's important to know. We should pray for the people there and even the earthquake in Haiti and stuff. But in general, with this whole pandemic, I think if you just try to be your healthiest and not get so fear mongered, because that, again, affects your cortisol, your endocrine system, your hormones, and then living in that place of fear is not ideal. But if your family friend or your friend is um, unhealthy and you think that maybe uh, changing their diet is a way that they can awake to being healthier, to having a higher chance with surviving COVID, then that's, those are the things that we should be doing now instead of getting bogged down by, oh, look at this misinformation here. Look at the information there that may be correct. And what all, does all this mean? Is there even a black pill? Is there, should we even be taking a white pill, the red pill, whatever it is. It's just, we know that being the healthiest, having the strongest immune system is the best thing we could do. And that we know that we need to protect our children and our loved ones we do those things and we get through this together and instead of fighting, right. Um, I, it, this period in time always reminds me of the movie ants. And I don't even know if that's the right movie. Maybe it's bugs life, but all of those ants were working to give the crickets food. Do you know what <laughs> it's the bugs life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. It's the bugs life. Okay. And I think of we're all the ants. We have so much power as a population of people. And let's just, do good and not just expect these higher ups to give us the answers, right? Ma'am, you are we preaching can, my language. Yes. We can strengthen our families, ourselves by eating a cleaner diet. Turn off the news if it's giving us stress because it's not going to change tomorrow. You know, we've been in this for a year and a half. If you've been watching the news every single day of that year and a half, man, I don't know how you dealt with that because that would have killed me. I listened for one month and I felt so depressed. I'm like, what is the point of sharing about a ribeye when we might not even be alive tomorrow? And I just was like, this is not a good place to be. So I turned it off and I haven't looked back. And you know what? I've enjoyed my one year of being kind of away from the news and call me ignorant. But, you know, this time has been wonderful with my children, wonderful with my husband. And um, but we're living our best lives that we can right now. And we love our neighbor and we're not trying to be like, oh, you're you're on the opposite side of my political beliefs. Instead, we're, you know, we're just trying to be a community. And I think that like the bug's life, we're all ants. <laughs> we're all in this big community and we just need to take care of ourselves first. And then if it's about politics or money or power, like let them figure it out, let them play at it, but at least be the healthiest you can. I think it's so important though. Like you, I mean, I want to say this. I, I, I carefully choose the words corporate press and not mainstream media, which I think a lot of people use the term mainstream media. And the reason I don't is because it is not the mainstream thought process. You are not alone. The way that you are feeling, my guess is if you're listening to this podcast, we are the ants. There are so many more people who feel the way that we do. And what you're hearing in the news is the 10% to one extreme and the 10% to the other extreme. And there's 80% of the people that are all right there in the middle who are just saying like, who are very much feeling alone. And they feel like because they don't fall into one of those extreme categories on one side or the other, then they must be 
you know, an outcast or they must be alone, but that's where the majority of us live. And that's where we are as far. And that's how we're all feeling right now. And I think that's one of those moments is when you wake up to the fact that what's being portrayed is not the mainstream. It is not the, what the masses feel like. It's just what's being constructed to try to make you feel a certain way or to try to divide you is really my point to all of this. And just remember that you are not alone. What you are feeling is very common And, you know, we are all, there's more people that feel the same way that you do um, than you realize. And I think that's just, it's really important to know and to know that there's power in the numbers that, that in the way that you feel and you standing up where you feel like you're just one person. There are so many more people that you could inspire and encourage and you fixing your health is going to inspire and encourage other people. And you making a choice for your family is going to inspire and encourage other people. And we can't be afraid to share those things because, um, the majority of people are kind of all just here feeling the same way you do. And I, I, I really truly believe that. Um, and there is a black pill and there is a white pill, but that's something for another episode where you can go down this crazy rabbit hole that I spend most of my day in and you can figure all that out, but we don't need to get into that now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my mom, you know, she told me about her blood sugar being in the 78 range when normally it used to be in the one eighties before carnivore. And she was also on metformin around that time. She recently had a few friends over and um, she said that most of them gained weight during COVID. And they're all like, why do you look like you're aging backwards and you look so healthy and happy? And she said, I just eat meat. And and so they're all eating their snacks that they brought. Uh, One of them had tried carnivore at a certain time and she had she basically got that lady motivated again to eat mostly meat based. And so she left that party saying, "Okay, I want to have what you have. And I want to try eating meat based only because you seem so happy and so healthy. And I want that because most people are sicker than ever now. Mm. And I think that's that's where we should really just focus our times instead of worrying and then being almost a depressed person in this, like sharing back and forth with each other about fears and what does this all mean? Instead, it's just let's focus on the positive. You know, I talked about how if you're taking the red pill or the blue pill with our children, what does that mean? And um, I decided not to focus on it, right? I said, it does seem like it'll be a hard life if maybe you want to live on the outskirts of life, if that's really the future for us. Whatever that is, um, I trust we'll be okay. And for now, I just want my kids to be as healthy as they can, um, be have the strongest immune system, um, hopefully be more questioning things, but then also uh, be confident in themselves and and then go from there and not worry about the future because the thing is we have enough problems as it is today that we don't have enough room to focus on tomorrow. And if we always focus on tomorrow, we'll never be able to live to the fullest today. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. And I think that's a good place for us to end today. I want to read some reviews. If you are listening to this and you're like tired of us talking about this or you want to hear more about this, feel free in the reviews to let us know what topics you'd like us to address. If you have specific questions that you want us to answer for you, feel free to leave those in the reviews. When we talk about reviews, we're looking at Apple Podcast. Um, I don't personally have Apple, but it is the it is just the biggest platform for podcasts. You can even download the Apple Podcast app uh, and leave the review there, even if you don't have an Apple phone. So we want to read a couple of reviews and then um, we will wrap up for the day. So from Sierra Ranch, she said, thank you. I just listened to the Narcissist podcast and learned so much. Thank you for all you do. That was a pop. People really responded well to that one. So I'm glad you guys liked it. Yeah, I definitely learned a lot about narcissism. And I think we're going to have someone else on um, about that as well in the future. So stay tuned. Okay, so the next one is Anna V14, informative. Judy and Laura are a great duo. Both care about people getting better and do their research so you don't have to. Thank you. AI111333 said, uh, love it. Such a great podcast. Laura and Judy are so down to earth and speak so freely and naturally. I feel like I'm right there in the conversation with them. They are both kind-hearted, genuine, thankful for y'all. Thank you very much. That's all we hope for is you guys share with us your questions too, and then we can um, get you in more involved and answer them for you. Okay, so the last one is Rough Dog One Thirteen. Um, great podcast. Laura and Judy are amazing. This is a very helpful podcast. I highly recommend it. Thank you for that review. And just as an FYI, there are several people that have emailed me separately about the COVID 
uh, podcast episode and just the helpful information about that. So thank you for all your feedback. Um, this helps us to understand you know, where you guys stand and just not everyone agrees with um, some of our points of view. And that's okay. This is, should be a discussion. Um, we grow and we learn and we change and we can help the community more as we, you know, get a conversation started. Uh, we we are not going to agree on every single thing. Laura and I don't agree on every single thing. And, and that's okay. But what is really important is the lack of censorship and being able to have free discussion to figure out what makes sense, what doesn't, and how we can all be better um, moving forward. Absolutely. I think protect yourself from from things that are not helpful for you and don't put you in a good mindset. But don't we, we can't be afraid of discussion uh, and we can't be um, closed off to another view about things. And I think more than anything right now in our society, that's what's hurting us and dividing us is the fact that we're not able just to have discussions um, because people just get so, again, I think that's the two extremes and the majority of us are here in the middle going, yeah, let's just talk about it. So uh, don't be afraid to do that because you're definitely not alone. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. <laughs>